Okay. You can be opening up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We've been studying in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And, of course, we, as you know, if you were here last few weeks, you know that Paul had, uh, had a great love for the brethren that were there in Colossae. Probably did not establish that church personally, but he had heard about them through Epaphras, most likely, perhaps some others. And he had heard about their great love and their steadfast, steadfastness in the faith, um, uh, the, the love they had for God, the love they had for the Lord, and their willingness to uh, continue in the faith and serve and so forth. So we, we, we have a good letter. We have some wonderful things Paul had to say to those in Colossae. And then we talked a little bit last week about how he wanted, to continue, he wanted them to continue in that faith. And he is, his whole goal was to present them perfect in Christ. In other words, he wanted them to continue to grow, to mature to spiritual perfection, you might say. Of course, that goal will never be reached, but the constant work, the constant striving, the constant service of these brethren was to help them continue to grow, to be presented to God as a perfect immaturity and complete, uh, to be a perfect example, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So this was Paul's goal. He said, this is my goal, to present you to Christ. And as he said that, his desire was to present them perfect in Christ, as we read last week in chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, around 28, verses 28, uh, there he's, he's mentioning that. And then today we're going to look at some things that he begins to warn them about that might hinder that growth process, that might hinder that ability for him to present them perfect in Christ. He said, you know, there were some influences, of course, in Colossae. There were influences in the world around them at the time, just like there are influences in our lives today, right, that might hinder their salvation, that might endanger their ability to continue to grow, to be saved, to live eternally with God forever. Let's open up uh, to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read a few verses about that, all right? We're going to start with... Um, Verse 8, and see what Paul writes here to the church in Colossians, to the brethren. He says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, these verses, he's warning them, right? He's giving them a warning. He's saying, do not heed those power, those man-made philosophies, those man-made traditions of the world. In other words, there are things out there that are man-made, that are traditions of men, that can harm you, that you can be endangered by. Some of them kind of subtle, right? You may not be so aware of it. Some not so subtle, but there are things he is warning them about, right? The dangers of man-made philosophies. He says they cheat you. They don't deliver what they promise. In other words, don't be deceived. And guess what? They can cheat you of your salvation, he says, by rendering our worship and our service to God as vain, useless, pointless, right? In other words, Jesus warned about this in Matthew 15. He said, do not follow the traditions of men as they deceive you. You will be deceived by these, right? Matthew 15. So he's simply reiterating what the Lord has already told him, what the Lord has already said, right? He's simply expanding on that. He says, this they do through empty 
deceit. It is not evident. In other words, it's not something that can be proved, these things that these men try to push forth. But like many satanic works, it's through deception. Okay, are we faced with things today that we can be deceived by? Absolutely, right? We are constantly, we don't know necessarily sometimes through not having knowledge, through, through not having uh, the ability to uh, know things about what's going on sometimes, we can be deceived, right? Have you ever deceived anyone? Have your children ever deceived you? Uh-huh. I, I see some heads there, yeah. Of course, it's easy to be deceived, but you need to be aware. You need to beware. You need to be ready for that. We're faced with some similar emphasis today, right? And perhaps there are a few that, are, that aren't so subtle, like, well, atheism. There's a lot of folks today that don't believe in God, right? And there's a lot of folks today that will go out into the world and try to teach you that there is no God, that there is nothing other than what you have right here. This is it. In the flesh is it. And when you're dead, you're dead, right? We also have something we call that's very prominent in our schools today, evolution, right? The idea that we came from a single-celled organism from the primordial soup billions of years ago, right? Yeah, the one thing that has never made any sense whatsoever to me. We have these things in our lives. Humanism, you've probably heard that word, right? Maybe you've heard that on the news and wondered, what are they talking about? And that's simply the idea that man can reason out everything by himself, right? Through science, through experience, through observation. Uh, and that's a good thing. We, we need science. Science has provided a lot of advances in technology and and medicines and things in our lives that have helped improve our lives, right? But they still can't answer the basic questions. How did this all get started? Where did we come from, right? All those things are still there. And so to simply say, well, this is it. We're just humans. There's no God. We're just experiencing what we can. We figure things out through science. Deceptive, right? Because we know this all came from a greater being, the God that's been revealed to us through the Word. So we have that, right? We have the traditions of men that are found rampant in other religions, right? Perhaps you might think of Protestant denominationalism. And no matter what you think about other denominations, there are differences, right? We have differences, whether you want to say that or not. And there are things that have been added to the way they practice their religion, their beliefs, from men, perhaps not so much from Scripture. I mean, it's, it's something you can read and see sometimes, right? No matter what you think about denominationalism, there are differences that have come because of what man has added. Catholicism, don't mean to harp on the Catholics, but there's a lot of things in Catholicism that you don't read about in Scripture, right? So there's things that have been added, traditions, various cults, right? Things like that. Through these philosophies and traditions of men, even though they might have some truth to them, they can be deceptive. They can be a danger. They, they are something that we should be wary about. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is, is really very simple, right? Is it not? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That kind of sums it up, Right? I didn't go into all the details about, you know, how we obey the commands and so forth. There's a lot more to it than that. 
But it is a simple message, right? If we believe, we're going to obey. And if we obey, we're going to be saved, right? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We just read that in verse 3 of chapter 2 there last week. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We don't need men to tell us other things. All we need is Jesus Christ. Just talked about last week, Paul is wanting to present every man complete, perfect in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is to be found, as we just read in verse 9, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What exactly does that mean? Think about it for a minute. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the one God and three different persons, and Jesus became flesh that we might know him in the body. We might know God, the Word, in the body. That's what he's saying there. The fullness of the body. That's all we need. In Christ Jesus, we are complete. As Peter wrote in his second letter, and let's just turn over there and read what he says about that. And I want you to hear this because it's very important, especially if you're ever trying to deal with someone who wants to say, well, eh, there's some other things involved, right? First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to, to, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things, not some things, not a few things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What's Peter saying there? You've got all you need. You have it all right here. Everything that pertains to godliness. Everything you need to avoid the lusts of the world. Talk a lot about the world. Thinking like the world, right? I've talked a lot about how we are sanctified. We are set apart for good work. We are to be separated from the world, even though we have to live in the world. And we need to have a love for those in the world that Jesus had for those in the world. Through which we bear fruit, we spread the gospel, we help each other, serve. But we're not of the world. We don't think like the world. When someone, we see someone who's living in sin, we need to do something about it. Instead of just saying, well, that's not the loving thing to do. Like the world says, right? We have everything we need. So, believer beware. Anyone suggests we need philosophies or traditions of men in addition to Jesus Christ. Next few verses in chapter 2, and I'm going to read here. Paul deals with something that was going on during the first century church there. And, and you've probably studied this a few times, but we're going to look at it again. It's not, not something that we probably worry about too much today, although there, there are other ways it can creep in, right? Beginning in verse 11, chapter 2 there, he says, In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body 
of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are simply a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ Jesus. All right. There were some specific things that we read about in Scripture that were going on in the first century, right? There were many who wanted the Christians to continue in the ceremonial action, ceremonial things that the Jews partook in, right? That they were commanded to do under the old law, right? Turn over to the book of Acts, and let's read about that a little bit. Acts 15, and let's see what was kind of going on at that time. <clears throat> Fifteen, and we'll just begin in the first verse there. <clears throat> Luke writes, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas had, and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and, the Gen Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, there's those pesky Pharisees again, who believed, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. <clears throat> so we have some here that are saying, you still got to keep the law. You still got to be circumcised. And he even says that some of the Pharisees, who, have, who believed, were trying to say this. You got to keep the commandments still of the old law. Paul and the, and the apostles had to deal with this in the first century, right? Understanding that the old law was simply the shadow. Sure, in our lives, we know about truth through the law. We know about that. But now you've been washed. It's not something that you have to keep stringently, which nobody could do. Right? The only one that could do that was Jesus. So Paul's trying to say, it's not the old law. These things are not required. It's simply believing in Jesus. Continuing on there, let's read on what he said, what's said. And this is going to go about 20 verses here, but... Follow with me and we'll read a little more. Now, the, In verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He's talking about, remember, the Cornelius convert, the conversion of Cornelius. Verse 9, and made no distinctions between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. 
But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by, by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So, the Jews are being shown that the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for the Jews. They had the law, the Gentiles did not. But the gospel's for all. And this law could not be kept. Verse 18, known to God from eternity and all his works, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named uh, Barsabas, and Silas, leading, uh, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who were of the Gentiles, Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greeting, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right, so here we have those in Jerusalem particularly who were trying to say, as Christians, we still got to keep the old law. We got to be circumcised. We got to keep all the traditions, all the feasts, all the, all the uh, food regulations, all the things that we have to do under the old law, right? And the apostles get together, the disciples get together and say, look, we have to deal with this because the Gentiles have a great burden because of it. They didn't know the law. They didn't have it like the Jews did, right? And they're being told, well, wait a minute, you got, we got to do all this stuff now? I didn't know about that. And that was wrong. They were being taught in error. It's interesting how a few things they do come up with, like not eating something sacrificed to idols, the blood, sexual immorality, except for maybe the sacrificed idols thing, those are pretty... You know, you can see that's, that's exactly what needs to be done. The sacrificed idols thing is a little bit of an interesting discussion. You could have a whole lesson on that. Of course, Paul later writes to the Corinthians and says, there's nothing wrong with eating meat and sacrificed idols, right? But if it causes your brother to stumble, don't do it. And so you have that issue going on. And, of course, you think about that time, idolatry was rampant, right? Idolatry was rampant in that area. So you had to deal with that all the time. Not so much what we would see today, perhaps, right? an interesting discussion on itself. So, we have Paul dealing with this. He's saying something interesting there 
in, in verses 11 through 13. And let's go back and look at that for a second. <clears throat> Read with me again, verse 11 in Colossians 2. He says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without, circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Interesting, uh, interesting allegory or thing that, interesting way Paul puts that, right? He's saying, we don't need circumcision anymore. You were circumcised from sin, more or less. It was cut away from the body through baptism. When you became a Christian, you experienced more or less a circumcision of, of, the, of, the, of the flesh, of the sin, being cut away in that sense. Interesting concept, right? Interesting way he puts that. We still have many um, who want to continue to have us keep certain laws and traditions today, don't we? But by his death on the cross, Jesus taken that old law out of the way, according to Paul there in verses 14 and 15. He said that old law was nailed to the cross. We're now under the new law, you might say, the new covenant, the new testament, the law of love that Christ died for us. And then the greatest commandment is simply what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And second is the same as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So you have that law of love. Through that, we know about law. We know about what sin is. We, we have that revealed to us through the law, through the word. We know how we should live our lives. We know how to obey the gospel. We know how to follow the commands. But it's not about keeping the law, right? It's about obedience through love. Obedience through our love for him, for what he has done for us, right? Don't have that burden. Don't have to keep that circumcision. Don't have to keep those traditions of the law, right? The feast, the special food regulations and all those things. <clears throat> Today we have many who still try to keep these old law and various denominations with their special Sabbaths and special food regulations. Other religions with their separate priesthood, right? We have other religions, other denominations that try to say we're all, not all priests. We're not a priesthood of believers, right? As those in Christ, we have done some certain things that might have explained this. And let's, let's turn over to uh, Romans and read a few verses from there. It may help us see some things here. Romans chapter uh, 7. And let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, in other words, the Jews, basically, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, 
so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You see, that's what I'm saying. It's now about in the spirit. It's now about love. It's now about obedience for what he has done for us. Not keeping the law, which can't be done. That's been nailed to the cross. We are guided by the law, of course. We know how things, we know how you need to live by that, but we are living in law. Yes, sir. the tree of knowledge their man didn't know sin then right we didn't adam and eve didn't know what sin was they had once we began to get that knowledge couldn't have a covenant or anything needed the law to get to the point where christ came yeah absolutely we we know sin through the law we know sin by the revelation of the old testament but it was never god's intent that we be so bound by the law that we can live right we have a life a love uh, we live a life of freedom in christ in the spirit right we're constantly washed by blood but it doesn't mean we don't sin doesn't mean we don't mess up but we have that life now that abundant life that we talk about in the book of john we are in him interesting point good point kurt romans 7 says we have died to the law and the jewish ceremonialism turn over galatians 5 and you might keep your uh marker in in galatians because we're going to read a few verses from here if we don't run out of time Galatians 5, and let's just begin in verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Just like Kurt was talking about there, we have been set free from that old law, that yoke, that burden that they had to try to keep. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, you go back to just trying to keep the law, God, Christ did nothing for you. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're going to obey one part of the law, then you've got to keep it all, right? Can't be done. You have fallen from grace. 
Wow, that's a bold statement right there. If you're trying to keep the old law, you've fallen from grace. You no longer have salvation. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. All right, so if you seek justification from the old law, you can't, you're not going to be saved. You can't do it. It's not possible. That's why Jesus had to come. All right, moving on. A couple other verses there that I want to mention. Let's uh, go back to Colossians 2. I haven't read it yet. Beginning in verse uh, 18. He says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. He mentions something here, worship of angels. What is he talking about that? Were they worshiping angels at that time? Well, perhaps so. Apparently so. There was something like that going on. Why would they be worshiping angels? Well, if you think about it, we are supposed to be humble, right? We're supposed to be humble before God. His great, His awesomeness, His, he's, he's the great God. And so you might think, well, I'm so humble, I can get caught up in that so much that I need, I need more help. It's not just enough for Jesus Christ. I may need to have an angel talk to God for me, intercede on my behalf, right? A humility that you might say is going to be a little bit haywire, right? Turn over to Hebrews 4. I want to read a verse for you real quick, a couple of verses. And this is an excellent passage. Hebrews chapter 4. And let's see what the Hebrews writer says about that. Uh, Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus came, he kept the law, but he knows what we go through. He knows what the Jews went through. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Hebrews writer is saying, you don't need angels, you don't need other interceders. You can come boldly to the throne because of Jesus Christ. You remember how the veil over the Holy of Holies was torn at the crucifixion? Torn from top to bottom? No man could have reached it. That was because now we have the ability to go right in the throne room. We didn't need a priest except Jesus Christ. He's all we need. And that's what the whole Hebrews letter is about. Jesus Christ is all we need. We don't need angels. We don't need other interceders. Perhaps angels is a little maybe goofy sounding. And I, you could go to Revelation 22 and read about how the angels... Uh, uh, 
John was, John was about to bow down before an angel, and they said, no, not me. It's not me. You don't worship me. Peter, Acts 10, remember? Cornelius, he went to see Cornelius. What did Cornelius do? He bowed down to worship him. Peter said, nope, I'm just a man. Not me. It's not me. Today, there are religions that have developed a counterpart to the worship of angels, right? There are um, Catholics, again. There's that Catholicism when they venerate Mary, right? Or they have respect for the saints, right? Who have nothing to do with our salvation. But that's been added. That's our tradition that we're talking about. We can see that. The reasoning is probably similar, that there's humility. We need Mary or the saints to intercede for us as well as Jesus Christ. Though there's an attempt to distinguish that perhaps in, in Catholicism or other religions, it gets lost, don't it? It gets lost. You ever talk to someone who mentioned about Mary, you know, I don't know, I don't know all the prayers, the things, and the rosary and all that stuff, but maybe some of you were once involved with that. And you know how that works. Mary has nothing to do with it. These things we see today, just like the worship of angels. The result is still the same. Not holding to the, if we're not holding to, uh, fast to the head of the body, if we're venerating other beings besides Christ, perhaps we're falling from grace. And lastly, but I have to do this quickly, but there's something called asceticism, right? And those last three or four verses, Paul talks about that. Something that was going on. Asceticism or the severe, uh, severe self-discipline, uh, the idea that we need to sacrifice our bodies, sacrifice ourselves, separate ourselves completely from the world to, to remove all forms of indulgence, right? Good point. <clears throat> He's talking about in the last few verses here, um, asceticism, the idea that we should uh, sacrifice everything in our lives to avoid any type of indulgence, any opportunity for sin. And he talks about there uh, in verse 23. I do want to uh, go back and read that just for a second because I want to point something out there. He says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in a self-imposed religion. You know, you've heard of monks that used to, you know, whip themselves, right? You've heard that, right? I don't know. I don't think they still do that, but who knows? They might. But monks that go and separate themselves from the world or nuns that live in a covenant or, or you know, monastery, whatever it is, to separate themselves from the world. And remember, we're not to be out of the world. We are to be that light to the world, right? Just like Jesus was that light to the dark world. Real quick, you turn over to Romans and... Uh, Let's turn over there and read from chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, it is that, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You see, it's not about 
denying ourselves from the things of the world. Of course, we don't need to be partaking in things that are bad for us. We know that. But it's about the renewing of the mind that provides the self-control or the self-discipline, right? It's not about beating myself. It's not about uh, denying my existence of the world, going and separating myself and being a hermit. It's not about that. It's about that renewal of the mind that provides that self-discipline, self-control, right? If we are tempted by something, if we're struggling with some kind of sin, how do we get out of it? Renewing our mind, being in prayer about it, perhaps confiding in a close person to you, perhaps bringing it before the congregation. We're in this together. It's not about denying yourself. It's not about whipping or punishing yourself. It's about that renewal of the mind. And there are those who set their minds on things of the Spirit, and there are those who live according to the Spirit, and there are those who by the Spirit will be able to put to death the deeds of the body. Today we must beware of false claims of asceticism. Fasting is something that you might see in that involved. We have scriptures that talk about fasting, though, being a good thing. But that fasting is not in self-denial for ourselves to be better. Fasting that we read about in scripture in Acts 13, 14, 1 Corinthians 7, is more about become, presenting ourselves humble before God, being in prayer and fasting before we try to make a decision or we try to understand what God wants for us in our lives. Not about denying ourselves, not about sacrificing ourselves. It's a whole different concept. Those religions that would teach various forms of asceticism as a means of developing spiritual maturity would have us believe that the secret is in the neglect of the body, and that's not true. You see, Christ is the secret. That's it. By holding fast to him, we have the ability to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. If we're constantly becoming more mature, if we're constantly growing, we're constantly in service and prayer and study, we're going to grow. We're going to become more like him, renewing our mind, being in the spirit, being in him. It's not about worshiping angels. It's not about denying ourselves. It's not about... Uh, trying to keep the old law. It's simply about following him. That's it. Paul is saying that. Don't beware. Don't follow all these traditions and all these things that are going on around you. All you need is Christ Jesus. Simply said, <clears throat> maybe tough to practice sometimes, especially when we're tempted as he was, but we know we have him. He is the only priest we need. He is the only interceder we need, intercessor, intercessor, whatever you call it, and that's it. Christ Jesus is it. By the way, if you're not in him, today's as good as day as any to get in Christ. Your baptism. That circumcision of the flesh is not needed. That circumcision of sin, of the mind, of the spirit, through baptism into him. All right, time's up. Thanks for being here.